0: Dr. Fred Moss, thank you for joining me.
1: Pleasure. Pleasure is mine, Alex. It's really great to be here.
0: Uh, Dr. Fred, I'd like to read just a a, a paragraph of an article that I read on your website, if you don't mind, just to start. Sure. As a clinician, I have the power to diagnose and treat. The power is intoxicating. It is an illusion. The notion that I, as a physician, am relevant, is supported by the general community, and therefore my sense of self-worth is bolstered. Unlike my deranged brethren, those deemed mentally ill, they will likely be punished if they fall prey to their lofty illusions. My illusions bring me a sense of self-worth and strength. However, their illusions might bring them a syringe full of powerful toxic chemicals, restraint and a short three to five day vacation at an institution. That is very refreshing to hear uh, and read in a public domain, uh, Dr. Fred. So thank you for putting that type of work out there. I really, uh, I think it's needed in the world today.
1: You're welcome. Yeah, Global Madness was a great article to write and uh, it really spoke from my heart and the truth and even something I've been thinking about today. So yeah, I wrote that a few years ago but uh, it rings as true as ever today. So thank you for picking that one out. If not more so, perhaps. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think you won an award for that, didn't you, or something? I did. I won an award. That was the uh, best article a couple of years ago at the uh, conference for global transformation. I'm very proud to say. And uh, you're right. The the it has, um, you know, it has uh, fermented or you know become become even more true uh, day after day and year after year. Yeah. So you're uh, a psychiatrist. Is that right? That's right. I was, uh, you know, conventionally trained and at Northwestern University Medical School and uh, and then did my psychiatric residency uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then, you know, a fellowship afterwards. But that's right. I'm uh, my my true role is as a psychiatrist. But I, as you can see, I, I don't practice psychiatry like most of my uh, most of my colleagues. Sure. So let's go into that. Let's let's expand on that a little bit. Why are you different well, I, I, you know, I don't know that I'm different. I, you know, they're different. I'm not sure if we're okay. different. So, um, <laughs> let's let's just make that clear. I um, I went into the field after being in uh, mental health and the mental health industry for nearly ten years, uh, prior to becoming a psychiatrist. So I had Laura, sort of a, a view already of what the ins and outs of what um, how <laughs> mental health is delivered, and. I was already of the notion and really had been of that notion from a very young child that, you know, uh, conversation, communication and specifically human connection are at the heart of all healing of all conditions. And I expected when I went to uh, medical school, you know, I I had dropped out of undergraduate school a couple of times, actually pretty sure that conventional uh, education wasn't for me. But when I got started working in mental health, I really saw that the um, the people I were working with, adolescent boys, were getting the raw end of the deal. And psychiatry was not treating those kids uh, with the proper respect, with respect to the notion that we all just really need to be heard and connected. So that's why I went into the field in the first place. I was fully committed to making... Um, you know, conversation and connection uh, be the heart of all emotional healing because I still absolutely firmly and 100% believe that that's what's the case, that nothing else even compares to uh, being heard by another person or connecting with another person or resonating with another person uh, when it comes to um, healing any kind of uh, emotional um, d- uh, imbalance we might experience. However, while I was in medical school, that's when you decide, you know, when you when you get when you ask the question, how am I different? It's where here's where they got in and went into a different um, paradigm, because in 1987, uh, Prozac was introduced to the world. And uh, when Prozac was introduced, that started a whole cascade for which uh, a new field, if you will, was created, this field of biological psychiatry, this field that somehow depended on the notion that if there was something uncomfortable in your life, that was your problem. If you were uh, feeling uncomfortable, depressed, afraid, anxious, nervous, um, if you were feeling scattered or confused or uh, aimless, if you were feeling sleepless or moody, or you had too many things going on, or not enough things going on, or you were finishing tasks too fast, or you were not finishing tasks fast enough. All of those things supposedly were psychiatric conditions, but I never saw them as such. And once they created Prozac, they created a whole biology or a whole notion that they're almost like there's an app for that. Uh, you know, there's a pill for that. This mm-hmm. idea that we could take on all of our uh, uncomfortable experiences as if they were our fault, like burning, you know, like blaming a log for burning in a fire, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a whole field was born while I was in medical school. So all of my colleagues went in that direction, including me, by the way, I, 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 you know, I learned everything I needed to know. So that I was a, I was an extraordinary psychopharmacologist. And in my years, I had 40,000 patients and I medicated, you know, I, I wrote over 100,000 100, prescriptions for certain uh, during those 32 years as a psychiatrist. But what really, uh, you know, r- really hung true for me the whole time was what I've already said a couple times to you. And that is that, you know, um, uh, communication, connection and creativity are at the heart of all healing, like human connection and resonating with another person. And so in 2006 is when I decided to really take a shift away from my colleagues a little bit and do something which some people think is really radical, which is I I just, you know, stop medicine on some of my patients. None of us had actually been trained. No one has ever trained in medical school to actually learn how to stop medicine. Uh, We just learned how to, um, you know, increase or change or add medicine. Uh, If there's a problem, it's because there's not enough medicine or the wrong medicine. Um, So... Uh, I started taking people off medicine, and, and lo and behold, they got better, as uh, reliably better, and in some cases, remarkably, miraculously better to the point where their diagnosis disappeared. And I knew I was onto something at that point, and um, you know, really onto that if I take the right patients, the ones who are ready to see that they're not getting better and they want their life back, and then take them off their medicine, they can get reliably better. Now. I wanted to scream this from the mountaintops, right? You know, I was like really kind of upset about it all. Like the idea that the medications I was giving weren't helping was very disturbing to me. But, you know, I've developed over time that being violent about it or screaming at people, shaking people really isn't what works. And what works is just coming to the truth that, you know, being gentle and listening and being with another person is at the heart of all emotional healing we already know that, right? This is not news to you. You're not thinking, Fred, where'd you come up with that? No, you're, you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly right. You already know. That. Everyone knows that. We all know that. And we have just been kind of uh, sideswiped with this idea that um, there's a whole industry of medicine and diagnoses out there that are doing us well. Well, the truth is, they're not doing us well. They're doing us poorly. The mental health crisis preceded any other crisis that we might be having right now. Uh, you know, it was a pandemic long before this thing called the pandemic started, and it was a, a and it's grown and in fact is directly related in many ways to our present um, uh, our present challenges with this pandemic, and uh, the idea again is that. Once I started looking at where is the entryway here? How can we really help people? And one of the things I really, really landed on is that it's in the world of the diagnosis that the entryway is, meaning people come in and they want confirmation that there's something wrong with them so that in some ways they don't have to take responsibility for the things that they're doing that are inconsistent with who they wish they were. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really, really important here. Now, I want to make a disclaimer to your audience and to anyone listening, actually which is if you have a diagnosis and you're very happy with that diagnosis and you're being treated properly with that diagnosis and you feel like you've gotten as good as you want to get with that diagnosis and things are working well for you inside of the mental health industry that you're presently involved in then please don't change course you know this is this is not about I'm being right and you're not this is about really getting if it's if your life is working for you then by all means, like way seriously, more power to you, and I wish you the very best, and I, I, I don't have any problem with whatever you're doing as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror and get that your mental illness and your, your treatment is working as, ho- as well as you would possibly hope it could, and you have no, re- no interest in altering any of your, um, any of your treatment plans. So I want to make that really, I can't underline that enough. It's not like I'm dismissing those people. Uh, You know, life is challenging. And if you find a way out of it to the point where you can feel satisfied with how it's going, then you should stick on that course. But for the hundreds of millions of people who don't feel that way, this conversation is really important, which is that you can get your life back. It's possible to get your life back. Um, and, And one of the things we have to look at is... Why did you think there was something wrong with you in the first place, just because you were uncomfortable? I don't think anyone ever told us when we were growing up that life wasn't going to be uncomfortable, right, Alex? I, I'm pretty sure that we've been told the whole time, and we've read everywhere that there's a significant degree of misery and discomfort um, inside of this lifetime that we are in. Uh, you know, we knew that, right? I mean, we least you know it's not a very big surprise now. It's upon us. For many of us, we're really having that discomfort every day, and it feels like it might be our problem. What I would really like to underline here is that it might not be our problem, (laughs) that being a log that's hot in a fire is a proper way to be a log. Being depressed in a depressing situation is a proper human response. Being anxious about a future that is so unknown and looks either grim or bleak is proper to be anxious or afraid. Being afraid of something that's coming at you that is challenging your whole life or the life of our planet or your family, it's proper to be afraid. This isn't called mental illness. It's actually called mental wellness. To respond to a world in such a way that you're using the tools that the creator gave us Uh, These emotions that we have, these feelings we have, these behaviors, you know, I I, I, people come to a psychiatrist really wanting confirmation that there's something wrong with them, because after all, we make mistakes all day long. I've already made several mistakes today and it's only eight o'clock here in the morning and the mistakes that we make are hard to take responsibility for. So people come into a psychiatrist's office hoping for confirmation that there's something wrong with them. It's really the only subspecialty I know about that. If the doctor says there's nothing wrong with you, you get furious. It's <laughs> unbelievable, really. People come to my office, they're like, okay, tell me what's wrong with me. I said, well, maybe nothing's wrong with you. And they'd say, what the hell's wrong with you? How, how <laughs> could you think there's nothing wrong with me? Where, where'd you get your education? How do you, and it's like, And then they just go next door and find a psychiatrist to give them a diagnosis that there is something wrong with them. And they feel like they finally got proper care. It is absurd, right? It's absurd in its own way. And yet I truly respect this notion. Alex, if you want to take responsibility for all the bullshit I'm about to do today that goes wrong, or if I can give that to somebody else to take responsibility or give it to my condition, like, no, no, honey, that's not me. That's my ADHD that's my bipolar disorder. That's my autistic spectrum disorder. Well, I, I'm game for that. I don't want, you know, it's hard to take responsibility for being a jerk. And the truth is, I sometimes am a jerk and I make mistakes like us humans do. If we can get to with each other and understand that we are all just simply human, that's where welcome to humanity comes from, frankly, on the heels of this global madness article you just talked about. Um I think the world ends, ends up starting at a new uh, level play, you know, playing field. And uh, I know that when I connect with another person through authentic listening, through creativity, uh, through curiosity and wonder, uh, the uh, healing that takes place there is profound. And I don't have much more to say. I learned that when I was like two. Mm-hmm. This isn't for out of the journals. You know that I'm not saying anything you don't know. You're not like Alex, and Fred, man. That's crazy thinking. No, actually, it's not crazy thinking. That's what makes it so crazy. And that's what I'm saying about where did when you say where did I get to be different? Um, I just stayed the same. Everyone else yeah. got different.
0: <laughs> I think that's quite a profound uh, thing you've said there. To be honest, I think we we the average modern person seems to love complexity, and there's no simplicity in in just being. The wonder yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. We overcomplicate everything in order to label things and categorize things and split things. And and sometimes it's just, no, just go back to what we were when we were kids and you're not far off the mark.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, kids, know, kids know a lot more than us about this kind of thing. Mm. That's right.
0: Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. so you've mentioned their creativity. What can you define that? How you're using that term there?
1: Well, you know, another book that I wrote was called The Creative Eight, uh, Healing Through uh, Creativity and Self-Expression. And um, I'm I'm pretty proud of the book, but I'm more proud of the practice that it really, uh, really preceded the book, which is this idea that I noticed when I was looking for ways to manage this notion that psychiatry uh, and medications and treatment maybe weren't the best thing for people. That when I was being creative or when my clients or uh, patients were being creative, when they were when they were doing something creative during the process of that creativity, this idea of um, their symptoms or their negative feelings tended to dissolve or disappear. And what I mean by that was that that uh, maybe what was happening here was the symptoms were a function of our self-expression being thwarted or smothered. that we weren't getting our point across. The basic notion is that each and every one of us simply want to be heard, want to be loved, want to be appreciated for who we are and who we're not. Mm -hmm. We want to be heard for our basic selves, and sometimes words don't do us justice. Right now, we're counting on words, right? I'm creating a series of sentences and paragraphs on the fly that are uh, landing over there with you and our audience, and I'm hoping and praying that you can hear and see what the essence is of what I'm trying to communicate. It's not the only form of communication that's available, and inside creativity, we come up with all sorts of new forms to create self-expressive opportunities. So the creative aid is built on a certain set of uh, initially eight separate creative tactics. Um, Art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, and gardening are the the first eight. There's been some add-ons over time. So, you know, photography and even cleaning have been added on. And then ultimately, there is one more, and the one more that tends to work that really just helps all of us like dissolve our negative experience, and I I think it's pretty reliable. I'm continuing to test it day after day, is this idea of being of service, meaning giving up yourself and being out there and doing anything for anyone tends to really deserve or dissolve any kind of negative experience you might be having about anything, really. You could be afraid about something, or you could be depressed about something, or you could be anxious about something. And if you really are able to drop the guns and go out there and help somebody, uh, help anybody do anything, during the time where you are uh, naturally and authentically doing that, the negative experiences that you will be, that you had been, uh, that you had been um, uh, uh, absorbed in moments before disappear while you're in service. So it really points to this idea that we are, you know, social beings and being of services is, you know, we already know is a very high honor, if not the highest honor of what to do as another human. So being creative is one way, drawing or making music or dancing or singing, you know, are great ways to get our self-expression out and do bring an essence of joy. Uh, the idea that depression is waiting for you on the other side of singing is not really true at all. You get to choose that. And you know, there's some if you haven't looked, uh, there's some pretty depressing things going on out here. And it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be depressed. And when you can give compassion to yourself about your depression or about your anxiety or about your fears, et cetera, there is a new sense of humanity that uh, really can arise, and we can then again be um, sort of like human human brethren, brothers and sisters with each other. Really, getting that we're all walking through this world without a clue about what's coming around the corner. And you know, and when we really get that we don't know anything, uh, yeah, we don't know anything at all. Not even that. We don't, especially the stuff you think you know that you know. You definitely don't know that. And when you get that and you get that we're all there, my goodness, there's a certain degree of unity and, mm-hmm. and healing and resonating uh, that starts right there. That's my experience. And you know, I don't I, I don't know a better way. When a better way comes around the corner, I'll look at that one. But right now I'm really getting that we're all together in this mishmash and we do have divine inspiration. We do have the capacity to be creative, uh, just like we were created. And um there's some magic in being creative, and that that's what that's about
0: beautifully said, yeah you you wrote in another article I think about beliefs and opinions and thoughts, and uh, there was a line that said, "What makes you and me so sure um, that we know anything basically how do we know a damn thing and and uh, I've read a uh, Jed McKenna, I read his books a few years ago, and he he Spoke about uh if you actually go into your belief systems and really break them down, you don't know anything. And that uncertainty, uh, particularly around here, I don't know what it's like over there, but in females, that uncertainty seems very difficult to comprehend. They don't like that not knowing what's going to happen in the next 10 seconds or in the next two years or something. And I think that that. Brings a lot of uh, what we consider in the culture as mental health problems. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think you know. I uh, I, I think exactly this. The truth is, here's the truth. You don't know anything. It's not a. It's not like you don't. It's not like. It's not like it's really art. You don't know anything. There's nothing to know after all. You know the what you know is based on some notions of other things that you thought you knew. And because you thought you knew that, that gets built as a foundation. And then you get to know things based on the fact that you thought you knew something that preceded it. When we can get with fun, right? Like with some degree of levity even, that we don't know anything. And we certainly don't know how the world is gonna unfold in the next few seconds or minutes or weeks or years at all. No way. Now, again, There is a a pattern here that of a prevailing, if you say a prevailing conversation amongst the population that has it be that we all can see that, you know, if we don't do anything, it's going to go in a particular certain direction. And in this case, I think we're all starting to collectively see that the direction that it's going to doesn't necessarily look comfortable. It doesn't necessarily look like uh, we're going to be given our uh, you know what freedom or our our sense of sovereignty um is what i think we all are at least on the edge of believing is being threatened mm-hmm. i'm not here to tell you that it's not being threatened uh, i agree it's deeply being threatened um As I watch people, as I hear the rules and the laws that are coming down, you know, our freedom to assemble or our freedom to uh, speak our mind, our freedom to uh, learn from and be with people who are either the same or different than us are being constricted and contracted. Um, You know, we are not speaking our true voice. Uh, many of us are afraid to speak our true voice, maybe with even good reason, afraid of being kicked off the island, or being trolled, or hated, or censored, or canceled. Um, so we have been, you know, smothered into believing uh, that that our voice is that it's not worth it. You know, that's really where I see the biggest threat in the world at this point, even bigger than any kind of virus or any kind of. Um, you know, global warming or even uh, sex trafficking or racism or, or war, the biggest thing that we have to deal with here is the fact that we are collectively giving up our capacity to speak our true self. If we can't speak our true self here, then no one will ever know who we are. And in fact, speaking our true self is the only available answer to take on some of these challenges that the world believes it is facing. If we're unable to stand up and speak that which is important to us, even if it's in disagreement with our friends or with our family or with the people we respect, then frankly, it really does look like that might be curtains because, look. Everything that's ever been, been created before of any kind of, you know, any kind of notoriety was created on the heels of a conversation. And at this point, if our conversation is being restricted and constricted, then we're unwilling or unable or uninterested in speaking our voice, then the way things go will be done and we will lose our capacity to speak our true voice, which um, I don't know. It sort of does look like a grim and bleak uh, agreement that we're making. If we agree to give that up, because we have nothing more to say about how life goes. If we can't even speak what it is that we either know, think, feel about how things are going now. It just seemed that
0: human humanity tends to go in cycles. Do you not think? And, and we were, it seems to me that we're at a cusp of that and whether the, the psychological I'd consider it infantile ways of many people's lives um, is not just a reflection of that
1: where we're at in society. Um, so uh, yeah, you, let's let let me try to uh, zero in a little bit on what you're saying here. Can you mm. Mm, yeah, assist me with where you're leaving? This um, so so let
0: let's consider. Um, mass psychosis or like the collective the collective mind and everybody's thinking the same thing and speaking the same thing it's very gray there's no creativity like we mentioned there's no color there's no wonder there's no beauty coming out of the person yeah um yeah that's where i was going yeah
1: yeah this notion of mass psychosis it's it's a it's an amusing notion and here's why um I get it, and I think that there's you know if there is such thing as mass psychosis, this is what it looks like. I get that too. Um, what's interesting about whether or not there's such thing as mass psychosis goes a little bit to what we just said earlier, which is do we know anything? Mm. So you know the, the the definition of psychosis is that it ha- it's an alter an a, a sen- an altered sense of reality from what is you know thought to be true, right? Like. Uh, psychosis is a different view of what reality looks like than what we hold to be true. Otherwise, well, maybe we've been in mass psychosis from the whole time is kind of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, uh, what were we believing when we thought we were believing that what we believed was true is a really important question. So now we're at a space where there's, uh, there is a, um, what what what, what we'll call it like a uh, polarity, um, you know, a divergence between uh, d- different camps or different ways of thinking, all of which are totally absurd, by the way, including whatever I'm thinking about anything. You know, it's all just completely absurd and ludicrous. Uh, and we have you know battling factions now, right? Have you if you um, if you're like most people, you've probably lost some important friends in the last couple of years. Uh, You know, people who used to be allies or who used to think or be or, you know, dance the same music as you, uh, you probably don't even reach out and talk to them, even though desperately it would be so important to, you know, in these trying times to reach out to every single resource that you had and try to, you know, consolidate uh, a plan of action. But instead, we are disintegrating some. We're afraid to bring our truth up to our friends if they disagree, whether it's about this or about that or about this or about that. Um, and it leaves us stifled. And, uh, you know, this sociological challenge that we're having on this planet at this point, um, is it, it's pretty remarkable, right? I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And, and uh, it... it uh, um, it bring you know it brings forth all sorts of survival tactics that you have developed over time. Are, how much are you willing to diverge away from uh, what your friends and family believe if you believe something different? Um, how how much inquiry can you have? how much wonder can you have? how, how much uh, curiosity can you have? Um, can you listen to somebody who is diametrically opposed to you about a particular issue that you know you're right on? Uh, these are massive challenges, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know I'm right about a certain thing and there's someone over there who knows, who knows just as well as I do that they're right about the same thing and they think something totally different than I do. As a society and as individuals, we tend to just dismiss that person. Like they are just dead wrong. And not only are they dead wrong, they're dangerously dead wrong. And not only are they dangerously dead wrong, I don't want to hear anything they have to say about anything, let alone the topic that we disagree with. And I wish they weren't even here. I wish I didn't have to deal with them or anyone like them. And it just explodes into something like that. Rather than getting the essence that none of us know shit. Mm. You know, and if none of us know shit and each of us can speak to our own authenticity I have this notion that that's where the magic could actually arise from. I don't know. That's my notion today. I act like I know that that's where the magic could arise. I'm not, I don't know anything either. But it seems to me like just getting down to brass tacks, if we could actually just hear each other and speak our true self, we would take a major step towards at least creating a possibility of, create, of, of, you know, forming something new that can address not only the world's issues, but our community issues and even our personal issues at the, at the heart of the matter
0: you talk a lot about unity and togetherness and uh, I'd, I'd question I'd question and push back a little on that as if to say well have we ever been that way is that is it even possible to be that way
1: yeah. I, I I don't know that we've ever been that way. Um, you know, I, I there's always been this notion of us and them. And so in the article that you you know that you quoted uh, the global madness, what we must do to unite. Um, that's on my website that anyone can read. Um, you know, that's the notion. That's the central notion of that article, right? That essentially there's an us and them. There, you know, we create an us. And how, why do we create an us? So I might say I'm an American, or I might say. You know, I'm a doctor. I might say I'm a father. All those things are true. I'm happy to say all three of those things and other things that I am that put me in a particular group. When I put myself into a group, what I'm really doing is defining those people who aren't me, right? Otherwise, everyone would be in the group. What I'm really defining is, in order to be me, you have to have qualities like me. And if you don't have those qualities like me, you're out there being a them rather than a us. So we are wired in some degree to create definitions of who we are, what this we is, right? And we, uh, up until now in time, have done that with, uh, within the human race. So there's an us, the, you know, we are, the, uh, we are the A team, and there's the B team over there. Even, you know, there, there's this kind of people, and then there's like that kind of people. You know, there's the rich people, and there's the poor people. There's the religious people, and then there's the secular people. There's the, and, you you know, we, again, on and on, yeah. being careful about that. The question is not so much of have we ever been unified, because I don't think that has anything to do with whether or not we could or should be unified, Because no, I'd say, you know, back in time there, you know, if there was 10 people and then probably five of them were at war with the other five. And it is not the history that gets to define the future of whether or not unification is a possibility. Meaning unification becomes possible or becomes even necessary when there's, when there's a new definition of what we is. And so if the new definition of what we is becomes the human race and we look at the approximately 8 billion of us that are presently walking on the face of the earth then we could get that the only way to become let's just assume that we and they this concept of us and them is hardwired into the into our thinking for our own identity purposes the way to alter and unify the human race is unfortunately to take on a challenge that the entire human race takes on collectively so that the us becomes human and that them becomes something even larger or different than human that is threatening or is calling on humanity to come together as one, as unified, you know, you know, but having read the article, I, I speak of, um, what that other might be, you know, I use use a, 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 a phraseology that a threat from another planet could be what did that because clearly climate change, and some of our present, you know, pedestrian issues aren't enough to put us together, frankly, they're, they're, they're fracturing us. But what if we learned that we only had a certain amount of time on Earth left if we didn't unify, for instance? That the whole planet, including the people I agree with and disagree with, were going to be annihilated if I continued to act like there was an us and them that I needed to dismiss a half of the planet because they thought some certain thing. What if instead we got that we needed to unify in order to create uh, a counter... Uh, a a um, counter-influencing powerful resource to address a global, a real global threat. Would we be able to do that then is a much more interesting question to me than whether or not that had ever happened before.
0: Do you think we would at that point? I'm sorry? Do you think we would unify at that point? Would you think that's the, that's the best opportunity for it to happen? If you at your crystal ball, do you think we would?
1: It have. I, <laughs> I I don't know. I I don't know. I you know I'd love to say oh yeah we would. You know I mean I, there's some people out there and they are like oh yeah the world is a great place and it's getting better and everyone. Everyone's going to stand up and do it. You know, when, when, once the challenge comes, we're all going to step in and support each other and, uh, you know, become teammates. Um,
0: See, I, I look at people like Elon Musk and, and I admire what he does in terms of entrepreneurship and everything. And I, I wonder why why we try and- no, There's put... no such
1: thing as people like Elon Musk, but go ahead, please. <laughs> okay,
0: just Elon Musk. Well, why, why put, um, why try and get up to Mars and everything? Yeah. you know why don't we just try and figure this out uh, here yeah you know
1: you know I, I i i i don't study elon he is a fascinating creature um for sure and and i think he has this same idea that we're talking about at least that he's dealing with the same idea like how and where is this going to land you know are we going to take you know ten thousand people at a time to to mars and have it be there um you know it's a, it's a wild fantasy that, that somewhere along the line there might have to we might have to create a parallel universe for those of us who are interested in being cooperative with each other um it's a wild thought right that we're going to just going to have to let this society burn and let it just you know let it just fade let it just explode and hopefully uh, in the meantime have created a a a side society of new parallel society for which some degree of new uh, new qualities of what it means to be a human, or what it means to be a community, what it means to be a you know cooperative group of people uh, listening and and speaking to each other are truths. Uh, creating from anew, there is a you know it's at least a viable notion that that might have to be created in an entirely new realm than the realm that is being beaten up. Um, uh, uh, you know that we are presently presently experiencing. Mm-hmm. It's a viable, you know, it's a viable thought. And, uh, you know, neither of us know what the hell's going on. So just take one more step into this world. Go ahead and ask the next question because that's, what's here to be.
0: Had. <laughs> um, yeah, you've written on that article. I think it was as well that, uh, all people are whole, complete and perfect. Right now, obviously the, the average person would say, you know, I've got problems in life. Life isn't perfect. Uh, I'm not perfect. Um, what would you say to these people who, who would suggest it's, it's that it's
1: completely perfect to know that you're not perfect? That every one of us knows from inside ourselves that there's something wrong with us, which is what makes us all the same. In some ways, we already know that there that we're imperfect, that we're not living life as high as we should, and we lie and cheat sometimes, and we we've stolen from people, and we uh, you know have not lived in our highest self. We've hurt people intentionally at times. We've stepped on people to get to a different, you know, to a higher ground. Um, It takes something to admit all that. And it takes something to get, oh, yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm not whole. I'm fractured. What's so interesting about that is that that experience in and of itself is just another example of the perfection of being human, that you're given the opportunity to experience from within the notion that you are less than perfect is indeed essentially perfect. Um, You know, that is part of being human is knowing at your very, very core that you're uh, that you're somehow different than everyone else. (laughs) Mm,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the the term mental illness.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, uh, I've done a, a bit of work in the past with like the tribes of the Amazon and things, and they don't understand what that is. Yeah. Like, if you, if you say the word depression to a shaman, it'd be like, well, no idea. You'd have to try and explain to him what that...
1: Yeah, you would have was. That's right, exactly. Uh, the, you know, and which is really interesting. But, you know, it's, this is why mental illness is... It, it becomes something that really lends itself to massive immediate transformation. Because it, the, it, mental illness is not the same everywhere you go. You know, so today, if I'm feeling so-called depressed or afraid... And then I take that to a shaman in the middle of the Amazon, or I take that to uh, you know to uh, to a resident of Rwanda, or you know even like who knows uh, the Maoris in in, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like it's universal. On the other hand, you know, if I break my arm and my arm's hanging down like that, and I go to um, New Zealand and I say, oh, how'd you break your arm? You know, it's like, it's not, the the shaman's going to go like, oh, you broke your arm. You know, the shaman Mm -hmm. is not going to say your arm isn't broken. It's broken. That's the truth. But your mind doesn't break. I mean, your mind might differ from um, that which other people think you should be. So you could make a case that diagnosis is more function of the, uh, more a function of the diagnoser than it is of the diagnosed. You see, the diagnoser only has a certain range of what they think normal should and should be like. And then they have a, a self-proclaimed license to, um, to tell someone else whether or not they're uh, normal, which is we could have a whole podcast on this idea of we could have a whole podcast season in fact on this idea of what normal is. Um, cause I don't think any of us really know at all what normal is. And then we have the audacity to, to act like we know what abnormal is. It's dude, <laughs> stop, you know, stop the presses. Like what the hell, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And when we really get that, you know, that this idea of, of normal and this idea of abnormal is already a bit arbitrary then we can really start getting that mental illness in and of itself is also arbitrary you know before the lockdown I had this idea that I was going to be the Anthony Bourdain of mental illness and it's kind of back on the front or middle burner at this point that I would go around the world and really look at this notion of what does it mean to be mentally ill in particular societies and just see that there are so many different definitions of it that none of them actually are accurate, which means none of them are true, right? There's no truth. If there's more than one truth, It's it means that there's probably an infinite number of truths. And that's true that there's an infinite number of truths in the world of mental illness. So again, we're back to being that whatever your experience is right now, even if it's just highly uncomfortable, it's part of the essence of being human. And I would contend that you're not mentally ill, even if you are indeed extremely, extremely uncomfortable with a basic aspect of your life. So I am not diminishing how important, you know, how true it is that we can be entirely uncomfortable. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, it's in your head or get over it or anything like that. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I'm emphasizing that that is a real experience, but it's a real experience that's true and honest and real to being a human and does not represent in any way you being defective, deficient, or or um, you know, or 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 diseased.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it just—it's. I think we're just so conditioned and ingrained to perceive these people as something underneath or below what the right. average consensus reality, whatever that is. Uh, that it's just a natural thing as you're growing up as a
1: child. It's like, oh, he's he's mental, or yeah, he's mental, exactly. And you know, and again, back to global madness, which I appreciate you referencing um, at the start as the article. You know, this idea of the disenfranchised, they don't have anywhere to fall to, you know, the homeless or the uh, those who have been already uh, dismissed from society. You know, there's a freedom that I've noticed with these folks. Right I, right now, I have to wear a shirt and I'm, you know, a big old necklace and I got to be careful, you know, make sure my beard is at least marginally intact um, because I have to look good because I have to sound good because I have to make a difference. There's a lot of rules in being me and being you. Um, it, it's interesting that as we take away those rules and throw people out of society and they find their way and, you know, maybe in uh, um, uh, the deeper guts of, uh, of what the earth really has to offer, that there's a freedom there that is in some ways enviable, you know, that, 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 that they don't, that when they hear voices, see, they hear voices and they got to call them voices. We hear voices and we call that our intuition you know, they they hear voices and we think they're crazier than, than, you know, a a crazier than a hudal. And we hear, you know, we hear voices and we think that that's our inner self talking to us. It's so interesting of what we call ill and what we call healthy as if there is a group over there experiencing something that we're not. Now, Drugs and alcohol and those things that are created um, do alter the way that we think, and and in fact can create, you know, this notion of hallucination, believing someone's there with you which other people can't see, or uh, believing something is happening that no one else agrees is happening. So it does seem to alter the realm of reality and and create a fracture between the people who are taking those kind of drugs and the people who are not. Mm-hmm. But that also is uh, that also is just another form of reality. Whether or not you like to you know smoke some weed or uh, drink some alcohol or you know who knows what other kind of recreational nonsense you might want to get into, uh, with, you know, with plant medicines or with uh, you know cocaine or whatever your story is, it does alter the way that think, that you think and behave. But that too is just another realm of what it means to be human. You know, can mm. you embrace it all? It becomes the real question.
0: Mm. I was gonna ask you based on what you just said there about uh, like psychedelics in, in
1: psychiatric practice. Do you think there's a place for that? I do. I, I do think there's a place, except I wouldn't want to trust psychiatrists to be the ones who are running it.
0: Yeah, fair point. Mm.
1: So yeah, how, think, how I would I think, that I be done ketamine. then? Ketamine is a great drug. Ketamine is amazing. Ketamine, if everyone took ketamine as a vaccine, it would change the world. If we all just did one day's dose of ketamine, like 8 billion doses of ketamine got created and we all got to take it one morning and then report back the next day, it would be a changed world. <laughs> it would just, would it would be. And Maybe we should crazy. get fa- Pfizer can get onto it. If Pfizer is onto it actually. Ketamine ah. is already created by Pfizer. And so, ah. uh, but, but psychiatrists are running it. And so this idea is that, um, Yeah, you know, uh, psilocybin or any of the well-chosen plant medicines that are out there, you know, ayahuasca or or San Pedro or whatever you're, again, wherever you're going uh, with that, there is a place in mental health for that. I just don't trust that allopathic psychiatrists are able to really uh, capture the essence of that and bring it forth in their integration with people who are going to have their reality realms um, fundamentally altered. I just don't trust my own people to respect uh, the mysticism and the notion of an altered uh, frame of reality um, being one that's worth respecting properly, I don't. Um, I'm not sure that psychiatry should be at the helm of delivering those kind of drugs.
0: Do you think that that's possibly because we've lost the, a sense of what's sacred?
1: Well, I know that that's certainly true inside of psychiatry. You know, if you come into a psychiatric emergency room and you talk start talking about God, you're just going to be hospitalized. You know, if you're like, oh, yeah, I got this because God's got my back, and people just call you hyper religious and jam me full of drugs. It's, it, you know, this idea of regular allopathic medicine, expecting, you know, I'm making, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit there, right? But but not very much, not very much. Hmm. If you have this idea that, you know, you talk to somebody who's maybe already deceased or, you know, this idea of the sacred circles that can be created um, inside of, um Mm, you know, inside of the work that shamans might do is not respected very deeply inside uh, conventional medicine. And because of that, if you show up like that, you're going to be considered on the outsider realm and likely be treated as if you're mentally ill, which is highly unfortunate. Mm.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Uh, Fred, we're nearly out of time, buddy. Do you want to um, let people know your website
1: and your books and et cetera? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a great conversation, and I and um, you're right. I w- I wish we could continue. You're, you, you've tapped some good sources for me. If your uh, listening audience is interested in talking to me a little further, I can offer a, a free uh, a free discovery session with your listening audience by them going to welcometohumanity.net, which is uh, my present website. That's in construction, and and it doesn't necessarily reflect where I am today, but in in many ways it's close enough, and. Um, You know, we all have to change and I haven't gotten around to putting that at a super speed. Um, So welcome to humanity.net is my website. My books, I really want to offer your audience my uh, newest book, which is called uh, Find Your True Voice. So you can get that by uh, going to findyourtruevoicebook.com. And I actually will send you a copy of the actual book uh, and even include shipping if you're in the United States. Um, And if you're over there in London, I might even do that as well. And uh, so that's findyourtruevoicebook.com, and then if you want to just email me so that we can, you know, really talk about ways that I'm developing to address uh, making sure your true voice gets out in the world, and making sure that you don't enter a mental health system that's going to make you sicker than you are now. Then the way to do that is to uh, to, is to email me at Dr. Fred. That's Dr. Fred at welcometohumanity.net. And I'll be glad to answer you and um, uh, set up an appointment or a conversation for you or a loved one or someone you're caring for. um, There is an opportunity to see that the the conventional mental health system is not your only choice. Again, for those of you who are in this system and very happy with the way it's working for you. Fantastic, fantastic. And congratulations. And don't change a thing. It's, this is really aimed you know, uh, at the hundreds of millions of people who don't meet that criteria. Mm.
0: Yes. Thank you, Dr. Fred Moss, for that conversation. It's very energizing and refreshing.
1: I appreciate it My very pleasure. much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I, I look forward to talking to you again. I, you know, I have something here in a few minutes, but uh, I'd be glad to touch base with you uh, later today or along the lines. I really appreciate what you're up to. Thank you. Thanks, Fred. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.